In light of the scary news out of Brandon about social media, luring, and sexual assault, we had some important discussions today, including one with a cybersecurity expert on how tough do we need to be with our kids and with ourselves when it comes to social media. Daycare woes. We speak to a woman who got herself on a wait list before she was even pregnant. And now that her son is nine months old, still waiting. A travel advisory is in effect for members of the LGBTQ2 community going to the United States. And on the lighter side, today we got some rather interesting tips from you on snack hacks. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Wednesday, August 30th podcast for the start. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Hello there, back again after a couple extra days off to just about close out August. And since we're just about into September, the mornings are darker, but not necessarily a bad thing, particularly on this morning, because depending on where you are at this moment, Greg, you might be able to see the moon. The spectacular moon over the city of Winnipeg right now. And one of our regular listeners, Gary, sends us a picture with the moon and a Massive tree and silhouette, absolutely breathtaking. Um, I guess it's even going to be potentially more spectacular tonight as we get the super moon and the blue moon because of the second full moon this month and the third full moon of the season. It's it's incredibly rare. We won't have this occurrence again until 2037. Yeah, oh, wow. I think, or or is it 2037? Yeah. I thought it, it's so funny when you look up things about how what the rarity is. Yeah. I have something telling me that it's a once in a decade thing. So that's uh, why I'm asking. The last super blue moon until 2037 rises tonight. That's from space.com. Oh, space people should know. They, if anybody's <laughs> going to know, I, I'm, I'm trusting them. But Although anyone can get a domain name and just <laughs> be space.com. Space <laughs> I'm so distrustful of everything. Well, maybe that's warranted <laughs> to be distrustful of things online. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, then that's going to lead into a conversation that we'll have at uh, 635, uh, and a story out of Brandon involving some luring on social media. Yeah, there's additional charges that were laid against this accused uh, yesterday or this week that we learned about. And the story starts, though, back in May when police advised that they had arrested this person for giving this young teen meth, and he had met this girl over Snapchat. That's how they connected with one another. And so my first thoughts yesterday were like, you know, you talk to your kids so often about social media and you think about the things about just your body image and bullying and all those kinds of things. But how often does your head go to that worst case scenario where they could meet someone online who would then do something terrible to you? And so this person has all sorts of other charges laid against them. But I wanted to talk at 635 just about social media and the rules that we set, not just for ourselves, but for the kids, because that's where your head goes. When you hear that, you think, oh, that is the nightmare, the thing that I've been warned about not to let happen to your children. Yeah, you're super trusting. I think a lot of us trust our kids to do the right thing, but to do, do they know necessarily what the right and the wrong thing are? Do you turn off the Wi-Fi at night? I don't. But every time I hear these stories, I think, geez, maybe I ought to be turning off the Wi-Fi and, and limiting the access. I mean, these things can happen in the daytime as well. But, yeah, it does open a can of worms, Brett, with regards to 
uh, the conversations that we're having, or maybe more importantly, not having with our kids about what's appropriate, inappropriate in this digital age, as we try to grow a little bit and, and understand what our kids are dealing with, but at the same time, caution them about what's out there. Well, and, and it's a good reminder as well that, that it's not just young people who need to be vigilant. It's every day I get, particularly on Instagram, I will get, um, uh, a message request from somebody and it's typically the, the profile picture is that of a very attractive woman, but usually the name is the giveaway because it'll be like, um, and hap nine, seven, four, like when there are seven digits at the end of the name, it's clearly a bot, but sometimes the name looks like it could be legitimate. And you look at the profile and you think, okay. And then I see, Names I recognize, like when it, it pops up the, you know, followed by so-and-so. And if, if, you, if there's like a mutual friend on the list, it'll show that. Uh, but it takes not long to learn that this is a scam account or some sort of a bot account. So I just delete. But you have to be so careful now. And no that's question. Instagram. Yeah. Because that was often touted, you know, when it was first came out. It's just the fun, lighthearted, look at some beautiful pictures, don't stress too much on this app. Yeah. And even there, is it fishy? Like, is it a phishing scam? Like, I, I, you, you don't, know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't want you to, to, click, I don't want you to click on it to, to find out. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, is it trying to get to, to, to lure you in for whatever reason? Well, even Google, you have to be careful. I'll tell this very quickly. My son had an issue with uh, an online purchase. He had made it on a website that his brother had bought something on, paid through PayPal, and then realized that he didn't really want what he'd purchased. He had either purchased it by accident, whatever. The point is he tried to cancel his purchase. It was having all sorts of trouble. So we wanted to reach out to PayPal. We Google PayPal. We make a phone call. And the first thing the individual on the other side wants us to do is to download this app. And this app would give this person control over the device. And it's like, this feels a little scammy. And And my son's like, dad, don't do it. Don't do it. This is a total scam. And a guy hears, this isn't a scam. This is total. I'm just trying to help you. No, we're going to hang up now. And so you even have to be careful with Google in terms of how it orders the different websites because you think you're getting a phone number or contact information for a legitimate site and it's taking you somewhere else. So, you know, a variety of different things you have to be so careful about because we're, we're trusting us so many things. Or I've noticed you even when you Google certain things, it, the, what comes up first is all that sponsored content, which exactly. is paid for, right? So right. I know I'm stating the office, but if you don't no, see but you the don't thing realize. really quick, especially when you're on your phone, you click it and you're trying to do a review of this product you're about to buy or you're, you're, you're going to go down the road of per- making a big purchase. And then you realize later, oh my, I just took advice from like the company itself, basically, to, to, to take them seriously. Or, or tickets to a concert, Brett. The first three or four are ticket resellers. Mm-hmm. If you just go the Google route mm-hmm. for that, you're not going to Ticketmaster first. If you click on the first result that comes up, you're going to a ticket reseller, and there's lots of people who've been caught on that as well. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up in our next segment, we'll tell you how you can win yourself some Banjo Bowl tickets. And 
That should make you happy if you win. At 7.05, we're talking about happiness at work. And I just say, I'm looking at this headline here. Happiness soars in August for workers in Canada. And it just made me think, could that be because a lot of people aren't at work during the month of August? I mean, let us know. Like, do you find that you have a month that you might actually be happier in or a season, right? Like summer, in theory, it makes sense that people would just be feeling a little bit better because of weather. You're out and you're not. You're right, Brett. You're not working. There's a caveat to what we're going to talk about at seven because they found that much of Canada is happier this month, Mm -hmm. except for you know who. I don't actually. Well, well, then we'll find out at seven. (laughs) Cool. There we go. Now that surprise. Maybe not a who. It's a the people living where. Oh. Oh, Okay. Is it Santa Claus? (laughs) (laughs) He's miserable right now. He just wants to get to work. (laughs) That's coming up at seven o five. But right now, we want to continue the discussion that we sort of touched on at just after six o five. When it comes to social media, what sort of conversations are you having with your kids? What parameters do you set? Do you allow certain apps? No apps at all? What? Yeah, the Snapchat is one that has been sort of controversial in my house. We've tried to encourage our kids not to use it simply because of the lack of evidence of the conversations that they've had or not had because they disappear after a while. And so I don't necessarily like that. And then also, Loren, just this whole idea of, you know, Brett mentioned this sort of fishing and luring operation, luring and fishing, two different things. But the idea that you might think you're speaking to one person on the other end on a different account, someone that might have paid you a compliment or just reached out to say, hi, how are you? I get it on my phone once or two, once or twice a week. I'll get a random text. Hi, how are you, hun? It's like, I don't know you. You're just sending out random texts to my phone. So if they're doing that to my phone, I know they're doing that to my kids' social media, potentially for very nefarious reasons. And that conversation has been had in our house. You have to be aware of this because of that. We're talking about it this morning because of that truly disturbing case you've been hearing out a Brandon, where a man who was already accused of really horrific crimes against a 15-year-old is now facing even more child exploitation-related charges. Global Scholar Peters has more. Back in May, Brandon police arrested a 23-year-old after reports of him giving a young victim meth. Investigators believe the pair had been communicating on the app Snapchat for more than a year and had met up several times. Now, police have identified five other victims after discovering hundreds of videos and pictures depicting sexual abuse. The man was rearrested on 19 new charges Monday and made his first court appearance later that day. Skylar Peters, Global News. So 19 new charges laid this week, but as Skylar explained, the first victim involved the accused and the young girl meeting over Snapchat. I was looking at several different stories about Snapchat this morning, and one article pointed out, if you don't know what it is, you're probably over 25. But as you explained, Greg, you know, it allows you to send messages, videos really quickly and easily. It's supposed to be more like having a conversation with a person. Um, And as you mentioned as well, unless you do something with the settings, those messages delete fairly quickly, I think within a day or so, depending on on how it works. So it can be fun and different filters and all the rest, but Snapchat along with Instagram are increasingly being used in a wide variety of crimes. And that could be because they're the the most popular apps, right? In all fairness, but the Canadian Centre for Child Protection, they've looked at all the data. They found 42% of reports of people who were just in sextortion cases, not, not more of the luring or the child abuse, but sextortion, 42% 42% came 
through Instagram and then 38% through Snapchat. So those two are the highest places where bad things are occurring. Again, the use is high, but it's it's these apps that you have to think about how am I tracking them for my children. Right. So the sextortion, if I'm not mistaken, that's sort of a situation where somebody might ask you, send them a picture of private areas, pictures that you would not necessarily want to share with anyone, but for some reason, young people seem to be comfortable. Young people, people of all ages. What, what, what am I pigeonholing young people? We seem to be more comfortable as a society sharing these things now. And then what happens is you send the picture and then this person will sort of reveal themselves as saying, hey, if you don't do this, this or that, I'm going to share this picture widely and let them know that you've shared it with me. And that's where the sextortion comes in, Brett. And it can be just absolutely traumatizing. We know in Manitoba, we had a situation, a young man who was a victim of sextortion and, and took his own life because he was embarrassed by the situation that he got himself in. It's horrifying stuff. Yeah, it is. It is scary. And especially with these, because you might think, well, how does this happen if you're just talking to somebody and you've never even met them? Like you may have never even spoken to them on the phone. Well, you can still develop that emotional attachment. And I don't know the specifics about this, just speaking in general generalities. But if you say somebody starts talking to you online and you develop an attachment to them, that can be really powerful. And that's how things can go sideways and you can get lured in and sucked in. And I had, I had a guy who I think his, his buddy had to, like essentially pull him back because uh, he, he, he met, it was like a, some sort of Russian spam bot thing. And they were, they started asking him to send money and he was going to start sending the money mm. because he was essentially like, I, I don't want to say in love, but he was like, he really wanted to take care of this person who probably wasn't even a real person. And it's hard because you, you know, you, we talk about being skeptical of things. You want to have that faith, especially when you mention relationships and the number of people who just meet somebody online. And you want to look at that and think that that can be a positive experience. And then you have to be the cynic basically yeah. all the time and ask yourself, is this real? And then ask yourself, why does, why do I need to even be on this app or does my child need to be on this app if there's all these sort of dangers out there? And, and for me, the thing with Snapchat that I struggle with is because you can't see, because those messages can be deleted. And I was looking, I think you can adjust the settings for that, but because they can be deleted so quickly, you don't get to pick up your phone or look at your kid's phone and just double check that everything is okay. You Do don't know audit. what's transpired, yeah. right? Yeah. Their message history is, is, um, isn't necessarily accurate. You're not getting the full and complete picture of what they're up to. But, you know, we talk about kids. We all know adults who have met their significant other online. Uh, is, is this, where we have a conversation about how lonely we are as a society that, you know, this is where our kids and one another are, are reaching out to have these intimate feelings with somebody that, that maybe you've never even, as Brett said, maybe never even have met. And are we, are we that I'll put in quotation marks desperate for that affection that we're, that we're throwing caution to the wind online and, and, putting it all in out there. It's, I think there's so many layers to this, McGarry. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. 
on my way into work today, I was thinking I got to have a healthier day because I've enjoyed the last few days off. But well, as usual, I did not eat very well. So naturally, uh, once I arrived, <laughs> what are they talking about? on the overnight show, the rent, the shift, but potato chips. They were talking with a, an expert, a snack expert from Winnipeg. University of Winnipeg. Um, and just about the origins of snacks and where they came from. And I think we all talk about, I think we all turn to the States a lot and think that they have the, they're the mecca for all the world's best snacks. Mm-hmm. But there's a ton of great stuff that comes from Canada, right? That's right. Ketchup chips in particular, right? We've seen the story in the media of Americans coming and buying ketchup chips up by the, by the truckload, it seems. Because they can't get them south of the line, as my Grammy used to say. South of the line. South of the line. Okay. So, but then as that discussion continued, there were some interesting snack hacks, like putting the Hawkins cheesies in the freezer, or somebody brought up a bologna and ketchup chip sandwich. I like how his producers put that. He's, she said, uh, oh, that's just taking two bad things and putting them together. <laughs> uh, so depending on whether or not you like ketchup chips, I certainly don't care for the bologna. So 204-780-6868, what's your snack hack? Tell us a story for a chance to win. Banjo Bowl tickets will pick a winner at 915. Or if you don't have a snack hack, maybe you want to go a different direction because they were also talking about flavors of snacks that you can't get in every jurisdiction, or like Greg just pointed out, you can't get ketchup chips south of the border. What do you got, uh, Cam? Uh, well, you know what? I was thinking, do I have any hacks? I, I do tons of weird things, um, but I'm not sure with snacks. Maybe this would qualify. Uh, I will. I love sunflower seeds, and I will sit on my couch and eat sunflower seeds, and I will cram, I don't know, 40, 50 of them into my cheek, and then I will use my tongue to slowly go and eat them one at a time and then spit the shells out into a cup. Um, I'm very careful to clean that cup up every time because I, that's that's pretty gross. But I, I, a lot of people in my family do that same thing. That's a lot to have at one time. And then I well, feel... Yeah, you got to be like a chipmunk. Like you're... You're, 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 <laughs> you're storing. And you, 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 and, you're like and hibernating. You, yeah, and you kind of suck on them and they get a little soft. And I don't know, I... That, that might gross some people out. Sorry, yeah, but that's I like a lot. It. That's, that's a lot. A lot. To, just, I'd say three or four for sure. But no, no, forty or fifty. No, you want your whole cheek. Oh. Want, you got to have the whole cheek. Hazard. Like, well, I, sw- <laughs> I swallowed one yesterday, and believe me, I think it still might be in my in the middle of my throat right now. You must look like you're a sitting in a baseball dugout with uh, with a spittoon to exactly your left. Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Sarah. What about you? Mine f- first one is a classic one. I think some other people probably do this, but just popcorn and adding some like M and M's or Smarties in there. Oh, I look looks like I took Greg's, but <laughs> it's the perfect like savory, sweet and salty little combination. It's so good to get the chocolate to melt on the no, popcorn. No, just like or does it a combination no. of flavors, right? And yeah. the crunch of the sh- candy shell. And I love it's, it. Yeah, it's all. But yeah. Delicious. And I, then I was, oh, go ahead. Forge. I was going to say, I've put hot sauce on my popcorn oh, before. Oh, gosh. No, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, then I, I, was, I don't like anything messy with my Franks. popcorn. I, popcorn has to stay original. I don't even like mm. sweet popcorn at all. Me too. I don't I, like okay. it. Butter and salt, people. That's it. Yeah. Well, That's you can get point. those You get those shakers or whatever, oh. the different seasonings, and yeah. Frank's actually has a hot sauce like powder? seasoning oh. powder oh, now. Yeah? yeah, we've got some mm. in our house. I'll bring you some, Forche. You can try it on Please your popcorn. Please do. I just bought a bottle uh, yesterday. Yeah. Just to have with popcorn? No, put on anything. <laughs> he puts well, like like they you, say. Haven't you seen the? Yeah, haven't you seen the commercial? Like a Chicago of course I have. Mix. It's been around for thirty years. <laughs> I just I'm eating the the cheddar ones out of there. I'm not even okay. touching the caramel ones. So 
just the, the total uh, schnorr business, but just the other day <laughs> we had a big bag of that Chicago, the Costco size Chicago mm. mix and I'm eating and I'm going, why are the cheese ones always on the top? I said, I think you need to shake this up. We've been buying this Chicago mix for like seven, eight, nine years. And it says right on the bag, never seen it before until last week that you're supposed to shake it up because the caramel ones are heavier. And so they tend to sink at the bottom. There's a like a label right on the bag that tells you to shake it up. <laughs> I didn't so there know you that. Go. That was going to be my big hack for y'all okay, this morning. Shake up that Chicago mix. But they're already telling you. Did it improve the snack experience? It did. It improved the mixture substantially. Excellent. Loren, what about you? You got one? Well, I've talked before about how one of the things I like about Easter, are, uh, um, the Easter bunny in our house hides jujubes, and I like it when I find a jujube a year later, you know, that didn't get yeah. discovered by the kids. Because <laughs> the I, I like I like the like I like candy like that to be super not Soft, stale. I want it to be just stiff. <laughs> like I want it to. Be, I want it to be work. Like it slows you down how much you eat. But I just like. I don't know. I like the texture of it being really Break hard to chew. So now I've gotten in the habit. Like if I and I don't do this often, but say I go buy a, a small bag of cherry blasters or sour patch kids or or jujubes, yeah. I will open it, grab two, put them in my glove box, and then. <laughs> And then I try to forget about them. And then, wow, how the joy I have, like, six months later, I'm like, oh, right, my heart and jujubes are all ready to eat. Like, it's the oven, but the glove compartment's my oven. And I reach in, and I'm like, there you are, you hard little so Why don't you just buy, like, toffee no, it's or not some the, hard not the candy? Same, the flavor. No, I don't, want, I don't want it to be hard. I want it to be chewy hard, not hard so hard. Toffee. It's, like, dehydrated. There's, like, dehydrated candies now, too. Really? Yes, there's like dehydrated like, Skittles. That, really? Yes, yes. I found them at the locals, actually. Those are actually in good. In Winnipeg. Yeah, them. they're good. Are they chewy? They're would good. you, would no, you say you, that's been These like, are like hollow yeah, kind They look like of. raisins? No you, no, you just pop them in your mouth. They're kind of like crunchy. Um... No, that's not the that's not the feeling that's not I'm the looking feeling for. You're going for. No, you I want- cleaned out my pantry the other day and found a uh, rock hard black jujube and was thrilled for like 25 <laughs> minutes. I, I have a case. I mean, I have a bag of. Uh, of licorice that the it was open probably two months ago. I'm, I'll bring that in for you. Please do. I'll eat. Uh, that's a gift. That is a present for me. Interesting. You should start a. I don't feel a like market. there's a big market for this. Put up I your hand know. if you love them. Let me know, and then maybe I'll get into. I'll just go around buying candy and opening it, and then leaving it in the cupboard. <laughs> and then I'll show up on the street next to the hot dog guy. Be like, come get your rock card candy here. It's been sitting in my shelf for two years. I've received random. Speaking of social media, I've received random social media messages about people enjoying jujubes the way you do, Loren. I don't know why they're <laughs> reaching out to me, but. They do. I've had it two or three times. Tell Ren I like the jujubes exactly the same Perfect. way. Perfect. Maybe it's a dinner party idea. Maybe it's a thing. I don't know. No one's going to come to my house Shane says chicken wing hack. Use popcorn seasoning in the air fryer. Says his son loves dill pickle chicken wings. Oh, interesting. That's tasty. And by the way, Loren, I just if you Google stale jujubes, there's a lot of stuff about stale jujubes <laughs> really? online. So I think there might be a market to get. You should start like product stale jujubes. They're already we, we already aged them for you. So now you can just oh my gosh, you eat can, them. Amazon and has them on sale. What? Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We're asking you this morning if you have any snack 
hacks. We were talking about snacks and chips on The Shift, our overnight show on 680 CJOB, and which airs across Canada, and stuff like putting the cheesies, the Hawkins cheesies, specifically the Hawkins cheesies, putting those in the freezer. Or here's another freezer one, frozen grapes. You ever put grapes in the freezer? They're good. They're yummy. They're tasty, and you can use them to keep your wine cold um, after it's been sitting out for a while. What does Anita have to say? Anita says, unfortunately, I have too many snack hacks. I love ketchup chips and dill pickle dip. That's a good combo. Yeah, it's a good combo. Okay, I'll take your word for it. The old Dutch Ariba zesty taco chips and cream cheese. I could see that being delicious. And if I have wings, my husband makes me peanut butter and jelly Mm. wings. Interesting. So good. The Heights has peanut butter and jelly wings. I was my first reaction was ew, but Thai chicken will be a peanut, yeah, a, like a peanut, a sa- peanut saute, saute right? Yeah. So I, I don't know why that was my first instinct, but it just seems like jelly, the jelly part maybe with the wing. It's just weird. It, it's, it's, a, it's, it's not something you would normally think would be a, a thing. So that's why I, I, I can understand the, the, that reaction, but I'd try it. I always say I'll try it before I knock it. Well, I'm not eating bread right now, so I'll put a tablespoon of peanut butter and a tablespoon of jam in a bowl. Yeah. And I'll eat it with a spoon. Mm. Why not? Because I love that flavor. I just get rid of the bread. <laughs> Reminder that we are asking you for your snack hack tips. Like Mandy, what does Mandy have to say? Mandy has one that I do not want to try, but she says her favorite snack act is spicy pork rinds with strawberry cream cheese. I find, found this out years ago. I normally dip my pork rinds in the cream cheese with peppers and grab the wrong dip. And wow, it was a tasty <laughs> mistake, says Mandy. So, sounds like how they invented the peanut butter cup. Right? All those, remember those commercials over the years, how they accidentally mix the peanut butter and the chocolate? That's exactly what that sounds like. Just on my list of things that I'm not eating are both of these things, let alone eating them together. Yeah, but Mandy. You know what, Mandy? Each their own. If it works, it works. So keep your snack hacks coming for a chance to win Banjo Bowl tickets. We'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, there have been all kinds of announcements around daycare lately. New centers opening in Headingley. The pledge for $10 a day childcare. So affordability, no question, it's huge when it comes to daycare, but it's clear there's always been an issue around access. And then you wonder, the more affordable we make it, you might see more and more families actually wanting to get into the daycare system because that gives them more options. And so access is still a massive problem in this province. Our next guest had her son nine months ago, and long before he was born, she started looking at daycares in her area so she would be ready when it was time to go back to work. She's still waiting. Christine joins us now. Good morning, Christine. Good morning. So let's talk about your attempt to get a spot, at least at that one daycare in your neighborhood. Take us back to before you had your child. Yeah. Um, so we were planning to start having a family. So we thought we were being very proactive and got myself on the child care list. I believe it was early November 2021. Um, at that time, like I said, I thought I was being very proactive and I felt confident in the child care. Um, my son's currently nine months. Um, I did receive a response from that child care provider mentioning that they should have a spot for my son by the time he's about two. And of course, that's not guaranteed. So I'm um, in all, I should be on that list for maybe three plus years before I even 
well, considered for a spot. Well, good for you for getting on these lists because I know some places don't even have waiting lists. The lists have been closed. How many lists might you be on, Christine, in an effort to find daycare for your child? I'm on about, I'd say, 50 to 60 different daycare lists throughout the city. Um yeah, and most now that I've been following up with are letting me know that they have closed their daycare lists and that there hasn't been any movement and it'll be anywhere from two to five years wait list. So, so is, when you got on the blue, you know what? Sorry, go ahead, Loren. I was just going to ask, what's the what's the why behind that? Like, are they just seeing more kids or do you do you have any thought about whether this $10 a day care system, which I think is great, might be contributing to it because you, you, you'll have more people say, well, like now I can afford that. Maybe I will go back to work and put my kid in daycare. Like, is there a why behind the, the demand? I'm not too sure, but I do feel that has um, a huge factor in it. I know... Um, about a year ago when I was speaking to one lady in particular, she had informed me um, infants were a lot easier to find a spot. So she kind of made me feel confident that I would be okay, um, given I'd had two years to try to get in there. And then come closer, when I started speaking with her again, she had mentioned that I guess a lot more siblings are coming into the centres now, so they take priority. So we keep kind of getting bumped down on the list again. I don't know if that has a factor in it as well, but... I think a lot more people are trying to partake in the daycare centers. Our guest is Christine joining us live on 680 CJOB talking about her efforts to get into a daycare spot. So you said you, you secured your first waitlist spot in November 2021? Yeah. Were you even pregnant yet at that moment? Or were you just trying? No, we were trying. Okay, so how frustrating is it to know that like this is something you want to do, you want to have a family, but it comes with this major caveat that you need to put in all this legwork to try to even just secure a spot somewhere down the road at a daycare. Yeah, it's, I think it's a huge barrier. And even just starting a family, it was the, the biggest concern for both my husband and I, when we were talking about planning a family and it still continues to be the hardest part of starting a family. And it is, it's very stressful. You put in all this legwork, you're constantly trying and most of your calls, emails, are unanswered, so you are left feeling pretty stressed out and frustrated. So if you're on multiple lists, that means other people are on multiple lists. Have you had a discussion of, you know, what could solve this? Because if you're on, you said 50 lists, and some of these lists are now getting closed, wouldn't it make more sense if there was maybe some centralized data keeping here in terms of who needs care and what part of the city? Because... Once that list gets closed for other people, it's causing a whole other issue, isn't it, Christine? Absolutely. So, so what what happens for you then? Like, you're th- are you three months away from going back to work? Do you have a, a hard date that you're going to try to get back and back out there, Christine? Or do you have some flexibility here? Um, not really. Um, I should be going back early December. Um, I've been able to push it to early January. It's hard because, I mean, I personally can't afford to go on an unpaid leave because I don't have childcare. So, it, yeah, it's, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't really have the family resources to fall back on in order to have them take care of my child. And I need to work. So I'm going to keep calling and hoping that I get my answer before then. Christine, thank you for taking the time to explain this to us. Uh, 
Greg and, and I have been there before, but even if you don't have kids, you get the desire to find a good spot for somebody to have them be well cared for and, and to continue on with your career or your passions as well. So thank you for the time. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Good Christine, luck. Keep us posted. Posted. Oh, thank you so much. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We have tickets to give away for the Banjo Bowl. So let us know at 204-780-6868 about your snack hacks. Like Michael, who says, a fresh Sobeys hot dog bun with a decent amount of peanut butter and old Dutch plain or ripple chips. Salty, sweet goodness. Like, how did you even come up with that, Michael? Sometimes uh, some of these snacks, I wonder if people come up with these when it's, say, 2.30 in the morning, 3 in the morning. They get home and they're like, I got nothing to eat. So I'm going to take this and I'm going to take this and I'm going to mix it all together and voila. I think it just falls. I wonder sometimes, too, like, did it fall into something? And you're like, oh. That's better than I thought when that chip fell into the ketchup or what have you. Yeah. Well, Wendy's is now promoting the idea of dipping their chips in the Frosty. Yep. Have you put the Frosty on your uh, on your cheeseburger at Wendy's? I tried that because people have been talking about that for years. Yeah. Dipping the French fries in the Frosty. Yeah. I finally tried it. Yeah. Not my thing. Not your thing. But, but you uh, can see how it could work, though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. A lot of people love that, that salty and sweet, and I don't. But uh, the fact that Wendy's embraced it and put it in their ads is pretty cool. So 204-780-6860, your snack hacks for a chance to win Banjo Bowl tickets. A winner shall be selected at 9.15. And we also have tickets to give away later this half hour for the fall fair happening this weekend at Red River Exhibition Park. According to multiple sources, Winnipeg has the largest forest of elm trees in North America. As of 2016, Winnipeg was home from anywhere to... 230,000 to 275,000 elm trees. And we've all, I think, often remarked about when we look out at the canopy from the 30th floor here at 201 or when you fly over the city, you just really stands out how green, how much green space, but how much trees, how many trees rather that we have in Winnipeg. And, And some have estimated its monetary value at over 800 million. If you go to treeswinnipeg.org, According to the city of Winnipeg, since 2016, the city has lost more than 33,000 elm trees to disease. And that would be like losing 330 city blocks of trees in just five years. As on average, there are about 100 elm trees per Winnipeg block. Yeah, so the number startling, the picture painted is stark. And I think all you need to do is walk down or drive down a block somewhere where some, many, or most of the elm trees have been removed to realize the loss of these uh, majestic giants are completely changes the personality of the neighborhood impacted. Now, something I hadn't thought about until Monday, what happens to all of that wood? Is it good for anything? Well, our next guest has the answer to both of those and other questions about elm wood. We say good morning to Mike McGarry of Urban Lumber. Good morning, Mike. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, but we have to preface this. Uh, no relation to Brett McGarry, but... Uh, no, actually, uh, <laughs> just coincidence. One of the few McGarrys in Winnipeg, I think. Well, and I'm an M-E-G, and you're an M-C-G, so... Ah, uh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Somewhere back in time, I imagine that you're related. But, uh, you know, speaking of history, what would happen historically to the 5,000 or more elm trees that the city of Winnipeg cuts down every year, Mike? 
Well, historically, I mean, uh, Dutch elm disease has been uh, ravaging the city since about the 70s. These trees were generally uh, chipped up and uh, used as fill in landfills or even just buried or burned. Um, has been generally what, what's been done with elm trees for, uh, for the last several decades. So to find a use for them, I think some people might think, you know, if it's infected with Dutch elm, it maybe shouldn't be used for something else. You know, you have those warnings of not taking it outside the city and not burning it in firewood and all the rest. So it has other uses, clearly. Absolutely. It makes beautiful hardwood lumber. Um, There is no effect whatsoever on the quality of the wood or visual appearance of the wood from the Dutch elm disease. The trouble with with processing elm is that it is a diseased tree and we don't want to spread disease. So we have a provincial permit to uh, process in a very short amount of time. We, uh, we utilize a vacuum kiln drying system to kill off any fungus. And, uh, and once it's gone through our kiln drying fungus or kiln, it's, uh, it's deemed uh, safe to use. So then what inspired you to launch Urban Lumber? Well, uh, I think you guys touched on it a little bit about how devastating it can be to a neighborhood when you lose these trees. Uh, so me and my partner and, uh, and actually wife, Carly, uh, we have a house in an older neighborhood in Winnipeg. And uh, when, we, uh, when we saw all of, uh, all of our big, beautiful trees uh, gone, we asked that question, where, where, where are these going? Um, we both had backgrounds in forestry, and the further we looked into it, we, we came across a staggering and troubling find, and that was that... Uh, the city of Winnipeg and is importing more hardwoods from eastern provinces in the eastern United States than it's throwing out into the landfill. And what they're throwing out in the landfill is in terms of hardwood elm logs. Wow, and, that's uh, incredible. We, we could fix that. Well, I've been on your website, I've been on your social media, so just talk about what you do and you mentioned how you make the wood usable and permissible for you to use uh, the elm lumber. What are you doing with it? Yeah, so we basically how our process works is uh, the city contracts out uh, various arborist companies to remove all these elm trees. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen the, the orange dot of death on elm trees. Uh, well, currently we're taking in about 10% of those. Uh, and how it works is the arborist companies basically have two choices when they remove these trees. They can either take them to one of the certified landfills that can handle Dutch elm and pay anywhere from 60 to $80 a ton to dump it, or they can dump it for free at Urban Lumber, where we will turn it into uh, a usable hardwood product. Um, of course, there's some specifications that go along with that. Uh, but ba- basically what we're doing here right now is we have this big net out right now where we're doing retail sales in furniture, custom furniture, all out of hardwood elms from your neighborhood. Uh, we also do a lot of wholesale lumber to, to various retailers. Um, as well, we work with different architectural agencies that are uh, doing builds around Winnipeg, where we find ways to incorporate Winnipeg's own natural resources into Winnipeg builds. It's really neat what you're doing. And, you know, I, I know there are some other companies that also do furniture with reclaimed elm trees. And I think that shows that, A, there's a demand for something unique. But I'm also curious what you hear from customers, Mike, when it comes to just having that connection, like that piece of furniture that's still connected to something that's really special to the city. Yeah, for sure. Um, we find uh, not only people in Winnipeg um, buying pieces of furniture made out of trees from their neighborhood, but we also find that people that have left Winnipeg from, you know, other provinces love having a little 
piece of Winnipeg in their homes if they if they can't be home in Winnipeg. Uh, so we uh, we also ship uh, ship wood and uh, and furniture outside the city as well. And uh, we 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 think it's a really cool idea to be able to have a piece of Winnipeg in your living room. Mike McGarry is our guest from Urban Lumber, and you when you take a tree that is uh, that that has been affected by Dutch elm. Sorry, does it? Okay. Just looking for some clarification on that. Does it change the appearance of the wood? Like, can you see it, or you just know not that it's there? At, not at all. Um, I mean, we, we're processing thousands of elm trees every single year, and we've never even seen a, an elm bark beetle, and we've never seen any sort of evidence of the fungus. Um, occasionally, on some limbs, you can see a little bit of red stain, but. Uh, for the most part, the lumber, you wouldn't know the difference whether it had the Dutch elm disease or it didn't. And you referenced the, was it the orange dot of death? Uh, what is the orange dot of death? Well, the orange dot of death, or uh, outside the city, it's an orange ring of death. Uh, is a, uh, it's part of a provincial program uh, where they go around and mark all the trees that have signs of Dutch elm disease for removal. Uh, so that orange dot uh, just indicates that that tree has been um, infected and is marked for removal. Mike, this is a wonderful way to handle what, in my mind, and I think for a lot of us, is is a semi-disaster here for our beautiful Dutch elm urban forest. But to be able to to repurpose this wood, I, th- I think, is extraordinary. How long have you been at this? Well, in one way or another, we've been at this since 2018. We started as a pilot project, originally uh, trying to salvage ash trees when emerald ash borer first came, and there was a big call of ash lumber, uh, of logs, sorry, that were removed, and we wanted to see if there was any sort of any sort of recycling we could do that actually had a market to it. Uh, so we started with ash trees, and then uh, that carried on, and we scaled up into elm trees, and it's just been carrying on since then. Well, we thank you very much for giving us some insight into what you do, uh, Mike. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks a lot for having me on. And I just want to mention, too, that we can only continue to recycle elm as long as uh, the people of Winnipeg and the province um, embraces it as uh, using our own natural resource, which is elm. All right. And the website, is it, uh, what's your, why don't you just tell us what the website is? Yeah, it's uh, urban-lumber.ca. Okay. And I'm just looking at that website right now, and there are some amazing custom-made tables out of uh, the wood that they are able to to grab. It looks like great stuff. So urban-lumber.ca. Once again, Mike McGarry from Urban Lumber joining us live on 680 CJOB. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Just want to very quickly say thanks to all who attended last night at Downtown Family Movie Night at Bonnie Castle Park. This was a showing of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Downtown Winnipeg Biz hosting this event presented by the Workers' Compensation Board. And thanks to Bulldog Outdoor Movies as well for uh, the, providing the infrastructure to put this thing on. But yeah, it was cool. There were a few hundred people out at Bonnie Castle Park getting ready to enjoy a movie. So I went out there to say hello and introduce the film. And uh, then someone said, aren't you staying for the movie? Which we started at 8.30. And I said, I got to wake up in like six hours. So probably should not stay for the movie. What was it the Mario Brothers? Yeah, the Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. It was excellent. It's an excellent film. 
So if you've never seen it, you can watch that on Prime. But thanks for Downtown Winnipeg Biz for hosting these events the last couple of weeks. Cool stuff to see families gathered downtown. Now, you just heard it in the news. Global Affairs Canada has issued a travel advisory for members of the LGBTQ2 plus community going to the United States. But what does this mean? Well, here to tell us, Executive Director of EGAL, Helen Kennedy, joining us now on the start. Helen, good morning. Good morning, folks. How are you? Well, we're pretty good. I have to tell you, though, I you know, anytime you see a travel advisory from the United States or parts of the United States, uh, my eyes certainly open wide. Uh, this one may be a little wider. What was your reaction to this? Yeah, I'm not surprised, actually. It's something that um, we have known about for some time. There's close to 500 different pieces of uh, anti-LGBTI legislation making their way through various uh, legislatures in the U.S. at the moment. So it is a hostile environment down there in some states. And kudos to our government for recognizing that and having the, um, I was going to say the the call, but I know in in politics with, you know, partners to the south, it's it's tricky. So I I commend our government for making our uh, communities aware. Have you heard from any Canadians within the community who potentially run into issues in some U.S. states? I can appreciate the concern for sure going. I'm wondering if there's actually been problems for folks. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I've experienced them myself. And um, it's it's not a friendly environment in some states, not in all. Uh, but this is about providing people with the resources and the information that they need in order to make good choices for themselves. So if you go, you need to know what the potential consequences are if you run into a problem. And so I, I think, you know, that's, that's really what the crux of the matter here is advising people and giving them the resources and the tools that they need in order to make a good decision. So not long ago, it was just back in May where there were some experts and advocates who were recommending against travel or at the very least just recommending caution when travel. So now we've got jumped from advocates recommending caution to a travel advisory from the from the government. So what you know, like specifically what uh, has has pointed to this advisory? Well, I think the current climate in certain parts of the states, the rhetoric that's being used in the lead up to the uh, 2024 election is targeting members of the two SLGBTQI communities. Um, And so there is a shift in terms of acceptance and tolerance towards marginalized groups in the U.S. And so it's good for our members and our Canadian society to know that this is happening very close to our borders. But I will say that we are seeing this shift permeate its way into Canada as well. And we're seeing shifts in in legislation and school policies, for example, in a number of provinces across the country. So although it's important to know um, about what's going on in the U.S., it's equally as important to know what's happening here at home. Well, we were having that conversation off air this morning about safe spaces for those that, you know, that are having a conversation either with themselves or others about their, you know, their, their, their sexual orientation and their identity. And so for schools, and I think that might be where you're going here, Helen, just this whole conversation about whether or not schools can be a safe place for kids or not to, to be who they want to be and who they need to be. Um, this, this is a, a concern for a lot of folks as to whether or not that safe space is going to continue to exist. Am I off base there? 
No, you're not at all. And it's uh, extremely concerning with the start of school um, just over a week away. Many jurisdictions now are, are basically denying um, some youth the right to exist and the right to self-determination and their own autonomy over their own bodies. Uh, and this is incredibly troubling. If you have a, a young person, a youth who is um, potentially struggling or not, who is desperate for an education and desperate just to be safe for a few hours a day, the educational facilities and institutions should be providing that safety. Um, but what we're seeing in, in a number of jurisdictions, New Brunswick, Manitoba and Saskatchewan, is that that is no longer going to be the case with um, young people being outed potentially to their parents who are not on board. Um, and we know from the work that we do that this leads to homelessness. We have huge um, populations of, of queer homeless youth on the streets right now, basically because they've been thrown out because their parents don't um, don't support them. So it's it's very troubling, and uh, I think it all ties in that yes, we need to be. We're seeing a huge rise in um, in hate and violence and uh, violent rhetoric against our communities, and it's unfortunately not all that different here in Canada at the moment. Helen Kennedy is the executive director of Egal Canada, joining us live on six eighty CJOB. Helen, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. Mackling McGarry McNabb, before we give away tickets for the Banjo Bowl, we have Global News reporter Sam Brownell, Brownell live on the scene at the perimeter, uh, heading towards Pipeline, the site of that crash. So, Sam, what can you tell us? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's there is a, a work vehicle in the ditch right now, and another truck was just loaded onto the back of a flatbed. Um, it looks like they're going to tow the vehicle that's in the ditch out of there. I, it's hard to see exactly... What would have happened as there aren't any crossroads or anything like that going on around where this accident happened. So it's traffic's quite slow in both directions, but the eastbound uh, side of the perimeter is, is definitely being affected more by this accident right now as they're right down to one lane. Sam, is there any indication that there's been a, a serious injuries at this location or is it more uh, the crash itself and the impact it's having on traffic? Um, as of right now, it looks to me like it's more of just the crash itself and the impact it's having. Um, there's no ambulance or anything like that in the area, just a couple tow trucks, police, fire. But the accident did happen quite a bit before I got here, so I'm not sure if someone was taken away before we arrived. All right, Global Sam Brownell joining us live. Thank you very much, Sam. Once again, you want to avoid the North Perimeter, if you can. North Perimeter, east of Pipeline, the multiple vehicles involved in a crash. There are big delays east and westbound. RCMP suggesting if you can avoid the area between McPhillips and Pipeline, uh, that would be good. In the meantime, we're asking you this morning to tell us your snack hacks. Like Adam, one of our runners up here, Loren, uh, inspired by you discussing how you like when you find old jujubes that have been sitting around for at least six months to a year. Adam says, I love Skittles and wine gums. And as soon as I get them, the first place they go is the fridge for at least two days. So they become almost rock hard and cold. That's the only way to eat candy. I'm going to have to try the fridge. That never occurred to me. I think part of the appeal, appeal is the discovery of the old candy and my complete unashamed 
unabashedness, unabashedness, whatever the heck the word is. When I don't care, I'll eat it. I'll take it right off the floor, dust it off, <laughs> pop it in, enjoy. I guess what what does it matter, right? It's already just made of, I don't know, old recycled phone books. Like what what's in a juju? <laughs> I don't know. As long as there's no moose hair or uh, a moose poop. You're you're good, right? I just well, I guess jujube is just fake. I don't even know if there's sugar in it in the end. It's just a bunch of chemicals. Where's the jujube? It's probably the most horrible thing for you. And did we have someone else who uh, one of our another runner up pointing out that they they go to their trunk? Their (laughs) trunk is like a tickle trunk of snacks. They reference the fact that uh, their snack hack is that there's nothing worse than when you go you buy snacks and then you go to the cupboard to enjoy said snacks and the snacks are gone. So the snack hacks to keep the snacks in the trunk for yourself. Just sneak out to the car when you want them. And that you know what? That's good too. Cause if you're like hunkered down and you don't want to move, but you like that having that separation. No, the craving hits you? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like to, to just walk up and go to the kitchen is one so thing. So easy. But to have to get out, go outside, good particularly point. depending on the temperature mm-hmm. or the weather yeah. conditions. Yeah. You know, that's like, why a lot of people <laughs> say if you're gonna eat the snack, make sure you put it in like in a bowl. As opposed to taking the, the bag day. with yeah. you, right? Just different tricks. I'm going to start a trick yourself. A juju business that. where I make them rot, like you know, uh, stale. And yeah. Brett's going to start like an exercise app <laughs> where it's all just about locking up your snacks in places that you can't get to. <laughs> now, you want to lose weight? Lock up those snacks, people. But Greg, Christine is our winner today. Christine, uh, for the adults, I don't know if you would consider this a snack hack, but you take any flavor, the jumbo freezies. And empty out about an inch of the freezy mixture and replace it with vodka or rum, baby. Whatever hard spirits you like, seal up the opening. This is the most creative part of it for me. You seal up the opening with a flat iron and refreeze it. Now you've got some frozen treats for your adult guests on these hot summer days. Congratulations, Christine. You are the winner of our Banjo Bowl tickets today. That is ingenious stuff, Christine. Yes, I know they sell frozen stuff that you can get at the LC, but uh, the fact that you thought to even use a flat iron to reseal the freezy is pretty cool. So enjoy the Banjo Bowl. At 6.37, we asked parents if they have any rules when it comes to their kids' use of social media. Yeah, some of the questions we were asking you, asking each other, asking ourselves. Do you restrict access, limit use, forbid certain apps altogether? Following that chat, listener Rob said, my kids only have kids messenger and it has to be made only off of an adult Facebook account. So you see all the messages Whenever you want, Loren. We asked these questions because there was that disturbing story of a Brandon man who already is accused of luring and sex assault, now charged with several child sex abuse-related offenses. So there's been more charges added to the list. And he was originally booked back in May after police heard a report of a man giving meth to a 15-year-old girl, a girl he had connected with over Snapchat. So what do we need to consider? What should we maybe change in our own lives, in our child's lives? Paul Davis is an online safety, social media, cybersecurity educator. And Paul regularly speaks about safety to law enforcement, schools, and more right across this continent. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So I want to, you know, a lot of people out there, whenever they hear these stories, say it's just a, just, it's an off chance. It won't, it's only, that's the extreme case. There's not that many extreme cases. Is the extreme more and more the norm, though, of these sorts of things happening with luring and other? I wouldn't say the extreme is the norm. I'd say it's becoming more prevalent. 
And the reason is because many parents are giving their children too much too soon. So the one thing I've repeated, I believe, on your station before is that uh, there are three pillars for online safety. Number one, you will never permit any form of technology in your child's bedroom. Computers, iPods, nothing. It's a no-tech zone. Number two, smartphones around middle to end of grade eight when they are more than capable of handling it, not before. Number three, no social media until at minimum the age of 13, which is the terms of service. So you could stay, you could say as a parent, it's 15, I would agree with you 100%. But we can talk about values and morals, but we can't talk about terms of service, which state in grade five English, you must be 13 to use these platforms. And the problem is, is that some parents have given their children iPhones in grade four. They're in their bedroom at 12 o'clock at night and they're on social media, they're not allowed to be on. That is the perfect mix. And I see this all the time because in my presentations to students, I survey grade four, five, six is gathering what type of technology they have. So when you've given them too much too soon, they go down this path. Now, when they're older, I mean, we can definitely put rules in place to prevent these uh, situations like these stories that have occurred. Are they out there? There's just a nonstop stream of them, whether it's in Canada, the United States, across the world. But that is preventable with some guidance. So, Paul, I love these rules. I love the way you've laid them out, the why and the checklist. But what if we're at a point where we've already done these things as parents? We've allowed too much. How do you put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak? Step up your game as a parent. Who's in charge of the home? You or the kid? You can tell your child, look, I made a poor choice. I didn't know. I'm now educated. I understand. And so we have to change the rules. Listen, we're always evolving as parents. When you learn something, you apply it in your home. Now, I'm a cyber guy. So... I can, t- I can lock down my home as a cyber dad. Have I learned other areas of parenting that I'm not an expert in? Of course. And when I learn, if I realize I've done something that could be better, I go home and I change it. Will you have pushback from your kid? You're going to have kids that are going to cry because you've taken their phones out of the bedroom. You're going to have kids that are going to tell you you're the meanest parent in the world because you won't let me have Snapchat and the rest of my friends have it. Step up. Be a parent. Don't cave. Don't feel any form of guilt and say, look, here are the rules, effective today. And I'm sorry we made the poor choice before because we weren't educated, we weren't aware, but now we are. And so we're putting these rules in place because we love you and we're going to protect you. Not because we're going to, we want to be mean. And No, that's, and, but parents feel guilt on a regular basis because apparently their child is the only one without the latest smartphone, the latest uh, form of social media. So parents basically have to step up. And yeah, there'll be a bit of a correction in the home, but that's parenting. You know, our parents made choices and sometimes they corrected them. Did we argue with them? No, we listened and we adhered and then we moved on and we're all better because of it. So just be a parent. Don't be afraid. Our guest is Paul Davis, an online safety slash social media slash cybersecurity educator and regularly speaks about safety to law enforcement and schools and more. And Paul, it's not in terms of of being safe on the phone. Uh, I feel like almost every day I'm learning something new about things to watch out for. I'll get weird messages on various apps from something that I might think is legitimate, but then I have to take a closer look. And it's getting to the point where I don't even want to be on any of this stuff anymore because I have to investigate every single post before I I even consider it that that, that maybe it's not a scam. Yeah, you know, that's part of the way we have to live online now, is that when you see something, you pause and you research. It's not see it, 
accept it and move on. It, you literally have to research everything. If you've accepted social media as part of your life, you have to do it. In fact, this is funny that we're talking around because I'm on a social media break until next Sunday. Um, so I do emails because I have to run a business. But on social media, I could care less right now. What's happening on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram? It means nothing to me. When I get back, it'll be back part of my life, but I can disconnect. And the problem is many people have a hard time disconnecting because it's part of their daily life, their daily fabric. And you have the ability to disconnect, but because it's become part of their daily fabric, they think that is the be all and end all of information. And so sometimes you just have to step back, read, research, and understand whether it's fear mongering, conspiracy theories, whatever. Um, You know, I really, if we have time, I don't know what our time is left. I want to talk about this whole Snapchat piece because the story that, made the news with the luring and I'll give you, I'll give parents out there three amazing tips that literally can prevent this from happening. If we have the time. Go for it, Paul, because I was going to ask, you know, you had those rules around the guidelines uh, for parents of ages, you know, don't let them have any social media apps until at least 13 and Snapchat, I think is the one that stands out for many parents because of the aspect of the, the messages that can disappear so quickly. So let's talk about what we can learn and what we need to know about Snapchat beyond saying, don't let them go on it. I, I don't know where you stand on that. Do I like the company? No. Image, because, and the reason why is because they lied to individuals way back when. Images do not delete after three, five, seven, ten seconds. In my technical presentation to grade seven to 12, I actually show them how images don't delete. Because remember, kids don't like being told what to do. But when you tell them how things work and you guide them, they're more receptive to listening. So after my presentations, kids learn that images do not delete after three, five, seven, ten seconds. So when I say I don't like to come, it's because, you know, the falseness. Anyways, they all believe that. Here are my rules of Snapchat. And the reason I will accept Snapchat in a teenager's life is because it's the number one communication tool between Gen Zs, bottom end millennials, and even upper end alpha. And alpha is not even allowed to be on Snapchat. The parents have thrown it there. But when they are allowed to be on there, here are my golden rules. Number one. You must know every contact. It's not like Instagram where you can go through a contact list, like parents can check it out. You actually have to go into your child's account and look at who they're connected with. So if the child can tell you that they know that person from class, from a sports club, as a friend, they don't belong there. Number two, Snapchat is a feature. It's called the Snap Map, which gives away your real-time location to within 30 feet of where you are. You can disable that. It's called ghost mode, meaning no one will know where you are in real time. But here's the thing. Kids will go to the parents and say, all right, I'm in ghost mode, but I'd like to let these four friends follow me because they're my real friends. And I always tell kids, no one is to follow you. You're not a reality TV show. No one needs to know where you are in real time 24-7. Number three, Snapchat has a feature called the quick ad feature. And this is how kids get hurt. You see, let's say all of us speaking were friends on Snapchat. Well, after a while, I will be recommended all of your friends because, of, because we're connected. We probably know all of our friends, friends, friends. So I will get this list of you might know this person. And so all I need to do is click accept, 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 accept. And all of a sudden, my friends list is now growing. And yet I have no idea who your friends are. So now you've got this scenario where kids don't have ghost mode enabled. They have people, they have no idea who they are because through the quick ad feature. Is it easy to find out where someone lives? Absolutely. Where they go to school? Absolutely. Where they play sports? When they're on vacation? 1,000%. So if we know that when we use Snapchat that images don't delete, number one, we're going to make better choices because on a different story, Snapchat is the number one sexing tool in existence. If they know images don't delete, they'll be less likely to take those types of photos. Number two, real human friends, 
it makes it a great platform. Number three, ghost mode adds to privacy. And so now when you have all of that together, I'm, 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 I'm accepting of Snapchat. I really am. And parents sometimes look at me with, you know, they tilt their heads like, really? After all that negativity? And I tell parents, when you can add education, meaning they understand how Snapchat works, and you add the parenting component, meaning you're going to be invested in your child's life, I can deal with it. And as a result, we won't have luring, we won't have grooming, and we won't have sexting. But it takes education and it takes parenting, and we can make this work when they're 13 years of age and older. Well, thank you so much for this uh, amazing insight, Paul. We really appreciate it and appreciate your time. Reach out anytime. Paul Davis is an online safety and social media and cybersecurity educator. And you can weigh in on what you just heard at 204-780-6868. Pretty Sage Wisdom, you're not a reality TV show, kids. I like that a lot. That ghost (laughs) mode, I'm going to have to double check. I'm going to have my kids, you know, the best training tool I always found in the workplace was train the trainer. I'm going to have my kids... Show you. Teach me, teach me about, and then I'll maybe just, uh, what does that, what does that do? That was as good a chunk of advice as I've ever heard on uh, social media, on these tools. Like I'm talking ever in any platform. That was great. Thank you, Paul.